guys, have you guys heard of Leo Tolstoy? Heard that name before? Yeah, okay. It's Leo Tolstoy, he's this Russian author. He's, um, I would like to say that I've read his long books, but they're really long, so I haven't read them. <laughs> um, but like War and Peace and, and Anna Karenina, and, and uh, I have this book, it's, it's called uh, The Kingdom of God is Within You. And, uh, um, and so anyway, he, he's, he's written these long books. He, he was born in 1928, died in, in or 1828, died in 1910. And uh, in his, when he was in about his uh, 50s, 40s, somewhere in there, um, he, he, uh, he, well, he was born to like a very wealthy family in Russia. And, uh, and he had this kind of crisis when he reached, reached, reached middle age. He, he looked around and he saw all this thing, these things that were going on and, and, and they were wrong. And he says he had like this awakening, this spiritual awakening. And he became, he became a Christian and uh, he became a pacifist. And he, he, his, his focus throughout the rest of his life was on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he, 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 Jesus' teachings in general, but... Those, those three chapters in, in Matthew 5 through 7, um, those were the focus of what he believed everything, you, the, the truth that you could find was, was in there. If you looked in there, you'd find what you needed. Um, and, and he wrote, he wrote and wrote and wrote. And he, he started schools for people, for kids who didn't have schools. And uh, um, so an interesting guy. Um, he, he, Gandhi was a little bit, was, well, about 40 years younger than him, but they would write back and forth uh, when, when Gandhi was a very young man. Um, Gandhi would ask him things, and so he really influenced Gandhi in his nonviolence movement, and then, of course, from there, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, read a lot of Tolstoy's work and, and Gandhi's work. Um, and so, anyway, he had quite, quite the influence. Um, he wrote a lot of big books, but he also wrote short stories, and if you, uh, I, I'll tell you if, you, if if you have any interest in them after this, you might not. Um, but uh, um, there's several short stories that he wrote that are, are just great little stories. Um, very powerful, very meaningful. And uh, I want to share one of them with you today. And it, it's a story called uh, The Three Hermits. And uh, it's a story about this bishop. One day he's traveling on this, uh, this ship and he's going from his church to visit another church to, to speak to them, to share with them, to teach them. And he's on his way and he's looking out at the ocean or the, the, the sea and, and uh, um, he's, uh, he goes, he sees some people on the bow. It's a sunny day. It's, it's, you can see clearly almost everywhere. There's a couple clouds in the sky and he's walking around kind of enjoying the scenes and, and he sees the people out, um, out on the bow. So he thinks, well, maybe I'll go see what they're talking about. And, and as he gets closer, there's, there's this one gentleman there who's a fisherman. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm positive that's it. And, uh, and I, I'm telling you, it is incredible. They are incredible people. And he, he overhears this conversation that this guy is having. And so he, he, he comes up to me and says, what, what are you talking about? And the fisherman turns and says, oh, your grace, uh, um, I... Uh, not, not, not a big deal. And he goes, no, no, what, what were you saying? And he goes, well, that island over there, you see it? And the bishop couldn't quite see it yet. He goes, no. He goes, well, it's, it's there. I, I can kind of make it out. Um, we're getting closer to it, so, so hopefully you'll see it in just a minute. But on that island, there's these three guys that live there, there's these three hermits. And the, I, I think they're like 100 years old. They're, they've got these long white beards, um, they're, they're just these old men. One of them's small and bent over. One of them's kind of medium-sized, and one of them is super tall. And the tall one, he's got this, like, this incredible strength. Um, I'd heard of them for many years, but uh, I never could find where they were. And, and then a couple years ago, I, 
I got lost at sea and, and my boat landed on this island and I didn't know where I was and then here they come, these three men, they come out and they help me and the strong one, before I could even do anything, he, he takes my boat and flips it where it needs to be and, and, uh, and they took care of me, they fed me and they, uh, they, they sent me off and, and they say they are there um, to, uh, um, for, for the salvation of their souls. This is where they're working out their salvation. And, uh, and the, the, the bishop's like, are you, are you serious? And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, they're incredible. It's, it's, it, I've never met anyone like them. And the bishop's like, I, I, I'd, love, I'd love to meet these people. His, his curiosity is very, very high. So he, he goes up to the helmsman and, and uh, he says, can, can we go over that direction? And, and, uh, and he says, well, if you talk to the captain, um, I think that we could do that, but uh, you have to talk to him. So he, go, he goes to the captain and he says, Captain, I've heard about this island over here about these, these three hermits. Um, is that true? Do you know about this? And, and the captain says, ah, well, people will tell tales about it, um, but sometimes they're just tales. Uh, and, and the bishop was like, well, it just seems like it'd be, it'd be a, such a great opportunity to go see this. So he's like, well, I would encourage you not to do it. We're gonna lose a lot of time. And the bishop's like, I'll pay you for whatever time you lose. Um, you know, I, I know we'll have to make some stuff up, but um, if we could go there, I'd, I'd really like to do it. And the guy, the captain's like, well, since the bishop wants to do it, we kind of have to do it. So they go, and they get as close as they can to the island. And uh, sure enough, you can see the island right there. And, um, and as they get closer, uh, the, the captain says, this is as far as we can go. You're going to have to get in a boat now and, and go the rest of the way. He says, I think I can see them right there. And so they get a little telescope out, and sure enough, there's these three old hermits, and they're holding hands, and uh, um, they're just standing there on the seashore, just holding hands, smiling. And the, the, the bishop's like, this is great. So he gets in the little boat, they row him in, and, uh, and he, he gets to the shore, and, and the three hermits come and meet him and, and help him get out of the boat. And, uh, and they're like, good to see you, sir. And, and they bow to him. And he's like, oh, it's good to, it's good to meet you. Um, you've, I've, heard, I've heard some stories about you. And, and uh, they talk for a little bit. And, and he says, so, um, so how, how is it that you, that you serve God here? What, what do you do? And they say, well, um, we don't know if we serve God very well. Um, we, we, just, we serve each other, and we serve anybody who comes here. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we do. Uh, and they didn't talk very much. Uh, that's, that's, they, they kept their words very short. And he says, oh, okay, well, um, well do, you, do you pray? And they say, oh, yeah, we, we pray, we pray. And, and he says, well, what, do you, what do you say when you pray? And they said, well, well, when we pray, we say, three are ye and three are we. Have mercy on us. And the bishop's like, oh, you, uh, clearly you've, you've heard of the, the Trinity. And like, oh, yeah, absolutely. He's like, okay, well, let me, let me help you here because I think that's, that's neat that you pray that way, but um, you're not praying correctly. Let me show you how to pray. Let me teach you. And, and then you'll know how to pray right. Um, and and things will go better for you. And uh, you'll be better connected with God. And they're like, okay, great. So he says, this is how you pray. When you pray, you say, our Father. And he says, can you say that? And they say, our Father. And then he says, okay. Then he, go, and he keeps continuing the prayer, who art in heaven. And they, they keep screwing up the words, and it takes them all day. Like, they can't quite get it down. Um, every, every time, he he'll, he's patiently goes with them and stops and, and, and continues until they get it down. And finally, after about six hours, they, they get it down. And he's, he's like, okay, great. You've got it, and I think you know how to pray now. 
So he says, we've got to go because it's getting dark. So they say, thank you so much. And as, they, as, as he leaves, as he gets on the boat, they can see him kind of waving at him and, and they're practicing the prayer. He gets up to the boat and he's going back and he's thinking how, how good it was that he was able to help these guys and uh, how, uh, how nice it was that God gave him that opportunity to, to teach them something and make their lives better. And so he gets on the ship and, and they, they start taking off and, and uh, now the, the, the sun's gone down and, and there's, this, there's moonlight and, and the bishop is walking on the, on the, um, uh, um, up above and, and he's, uh, he's up there and, and he's look, thinking about, man, how, how great it was to meet these guys and again, how important it was that he was able to teach them. And, uh, and he looks out and in the, in the moonlight, there's, there's just there's something coming towards their ship. And he can't see what it is. He can't understand what, what's coming at him. And he thinks maybe it's like another little boat or something. And, um, but it's, it's moving very fast. And, uh, and it's, it's going to catch them. And, and uh, he, he runs up to, to the helmsman and he says, do you see this? Do you see what that is? And, uh, and they're looking out. And they see that it's not one thing. It's, it's three things. And it's, it's not a boat or three, or three boats. It's, it's, it's the hermits. And they're coming out running on the water. And they're holding hands, and, and they're, they're running out to, to the boat. And, and the two on the end are like, stop, stop, stop. And, uh, and so they, they stop, and, and everybody's freaking out. They all, they, they all know now that these hermits are coming out to them. And everybody on the boat is just stunned and silent. And they, the, the bishop comes to the, to the rail and, and looks out over the, the, the boat and the, the ship, and, and the hermits come up to it. And, uh, and he looks down at them, and he's just, he's just stunned. And he says, friends, what, what, what are you doing here? And they, they look at him and they say, sir, you know, please you know, forgive us. Um, that prayer you taught us, we, uh, we had it down for a while, but then after you left, we couldn't remember the words, and we kept messing it up again, and we were wondering if you could teach it to us again. And, and the the bishop looks down at him and he just kind of shakes his head and he says, uh, my friends, um, I think God hears your prayers and uh, would you pray for me because I am a sinner? And they say, we will do that. And they go back and the moonlight is, is all you can see in the moonlight is these three hermits going back to, the, to, the, um, to their island and there was a light shining where they landed. And Tolstoy in, begins his story, I'll end it with what he began it with. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew 6, 7 through 8. Now over the next few weeks, uh, I hope this makes sense, <laughs> we, we will be talking about prayer and looking at Jesus' model prayer for us in particular, the Lord's Prayer. Which we, read, which we read together this morning, which Dave read to us, and uh, in which many of us have read and even prayed in our lives many times. And what we will discover in that prayer that Jesus gave us is, much, is what we will learn about is, much, is in better hands than mine. So Mike's going to show us a lot about the, that. Um, but today, there's one small piece of the prayer, just a couple of Jesus' words that I want to talk with you about. It's just one small piece, but it's a big deal. It's not much there on the written page, but everything is there. It's the key to it all. Though the hermits in the story didn't speak these two words in their prayer, 
we get the feeling that it is their belief in these two words that is the source of their strength, the source of their ability to, uh, to affect others on behalf of our Lord. These two words, of course, are right there at the beginning of Jesus' prayer. Our Father. It is the hermit's devotion to, humility towards, and reliance upon God the Father, one of the three in the ye, uh, that makes them who they are and makes it possible for them to do what they do. And for us, it is the same. If we are to do anything for the Father, if we are to have an impact on this world, or even just witness his work in this world, it will not be because of our strengths, but because of our faith, our hope, our belief, and our relationship with our Father. It is the most important thing in the world we can focus on, the relationship with our Father. And if we can be devoted to that most of all, putting him first in our lives with nothing else above, then we find that we have what we need, even when it doesn't look like it, because our Father already knows what we need, and we just have to catch up to him. The bishop in the story had all the words right, but did he believe them? Did he mean them? Or were they, just, were they knit into his heart? I'm not sure that he did, but I know the hermits believed them, even if they couldn't say them, and, li- and they lived out their dependence on them, and the fruits of this kind of faith are clear and staggering, and I feel like I know a few people like that too in this, in this room. So let's spend some time with the, peop- with the Father today, and this is my hope and prayer that the next few minutes will not so much uh, be me talking about the Father, but will be time spent with the Father. And I, I, uh, I know that I will screw that up, so I ask for your forgiveness ahead of time on that. Um, but hopefully something comes through. Um, before Jesus teaches us to pray, he has a couple of things to say about how we should pray, the manner in which we pray. And I believe this is important because it allows us to better uh, connect with the Father, to focus on the Father and our need of the Father. He says not to pray standing out in front of everyone on street corners, to be seen by others, or to pray for a long time for the sake of being seen and known for our long prayers. I don't believe Jesus is against prayers that are long or public prayers. I think his point here is that our prayers should not be for show or, or selfish prayers. Motivated, motivated by thoughts of being recognized as someone who prays. In other words, the purpose of our prayers and the one to whom our prayers are addressed is what matters. Not who sees us or what people think of us, not our reputation. If our prayers are, not, or if our prayers are about getting, to, getting recognition, then we have our reward. And really, the reward is, is not that great. If we want to talk with the Father, really talk with him, if, then we will be in a better position to do that privately, in the secret place, where it's just him, where our devotion and intentions are not as easily divided. And maybe our prayers are more listening than talking, because God already knows what we need. Our purpose in going to prayer matters, and if our purpose is getting attention and recognition, then we can probably get that. But it ends there, and what good did that do anyway? But if our purpose is to meet with the Father and to know the Father, well, that seems like something he wants for us too. And when we want what he wants, we have a much better chance of getting it. So however and wherever we pray, let us remember first and foremost that we are praying to our Father because it is he who can fulfill our deepest needs. Before we get to our needs, we must get to the place where we are with our Heavenly Father. 
And for me, sometimes this is kneeling. Sometimes in the morning and in the, in the evening, this is something I try to do. Um, and sometimes I, I feel like I'm resting in him, and sometimes I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, my mind goes to someplace else. But at least he, he, I, I try to give him the chance to work, to be there. Um, sometimes this happens when I'm walking my dog or, or going for a run, and sometimes this happens washing the dishes. Um, it can be anywhere, right? Anywhere that fits for, for us with God, um, wherever it's a quiet place with him. Now, a couple weeks ago, Doc uh, said that Jesus, in this, in this chapter, in this, uh, this, this, this middle chapter, the, the, the chapter six of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus mentions God as being our Father 10 times, 10 times in, in about 18 verses. And, and, and Doc talked about how there's this pivot here that Jesus makes. Um, he starts to talk about this intimate relationship with the Father, uh, which must have been strange for many people to hear. This might have been a mind-blowing and eye-opening thought to many who heard it. God being our Father is significant. He's not just a distant creator who set things in motion and then just let it go. He's active in our lives, caring for us, providing for us. This thought, this truth that Jesus reveals to us is is the vital one for us. And it's where we need to start when we pray. We aren't just talking to a cosmic force or, or throwing something out there into space or talking to ourselves. We are talking to our Father. Now, God is not referred to as the Father a whole lot in the Old Testament. I saw different numbers, and I think the biggest one I saw was 13. So, you know, the, the Old Testament's huge. And so 13 times there's references to God as being the Father. That's, that's not a whole lot. Um, but Jesus, uh, when Jesus starts to speak, uh, he makes it, he, he has, some, it seems like he has a different message here. Um, he, has, he mentions him quite a bit. Now, in the Old Testament, there, God is, is not maybe spoken about the Father very, uh, it's not referred to as the Father very much, as, as often as he's referred to as, as like the Lord of, of, of heaven's armies, right? He's strong and holy. Uh, he's, he's referred to as a husband who cares for his wife. He's, he's faithful, um, and true, and he's the shepherd who looks over his sheep. And these are all fantastic images and descriptions, and surely God is all of them and more, more complete than we can even understand them. Um, but in those images, there's, there's, there's something a little missing. The parent who is there from the beginning, that father that we need him to be, is not described so much in the Old Testament. And we need that relationship with him. Seeing him as a shepherd is comforting, but there's a disconnect between a shepherd and a sheep, right? Um, they're two different species. Um, so when, while a shepherd cares for a sheep, they, don't, they can't really maybe understand each other in the ways two people would understand each other. And a shepherd is good, as, as, and as much as a sheep means to the shepherd, if it's a good shepherd and something comes down between the sheep and the, and the kid, the shepherd's gonna choose his kid every time, right? So though, even though being a sheep with a shepherd is a good thing, it's not the best thing. Having a parent who loves you, raises you, teaches you, comforts you, provides for you, helps you, reads to you, guides you, prays for you, listens to you, makes you clean your room, watches you compete or perform, walks through life with you, that's what we all need. We all need that. And according to Jesus, that's what we have. Indeed, Father is the central word of the New Testament. Jesus seems to bring a new meaning to it, an intimacy to it, 
that the teachers of the law neither taught nor really felt that they had. Jesus refers to God as his father over 150 times. He refers to God as being our father 30 times. And this was troubling to the religious leaders, so much so that they wanted to kill him because of it. In John 5, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day, and this really makes the religious leaders mad, to which Jesus replies, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. That's John 5.17. John 5.18 says, for this very reason, they tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so I wonder if I, and maybe we, take God as father for granted. I know I do. I don't wonder that. I know I do. If that's the reaction Jesus gets from those who think they know him and think that he can't be our father, then how should we react, who, those of us who think that he is our father and that we kind of do, we can know him, how should we react when we hear that Jesus says God is indeed our father? We should have just as passionate a reaction in the other direction. We should fall to our knees in awe because God, this magnificent creator, the maker of heaven and earth and all the wonders in them, does not just let us go. He wants to be our father. That's the God that we have. And if God is our father, then we are his children. That means we can ask for things and trust he considers them Trust that he hears even if he doesn't say something in return. We can feel secure knowing that our father is near. We must live as children of God, be at home with him. Then we will know what to ask for and how to ask. And we can know that he is pleased to hear our prayer and give us what we need. A child who lives in joy in her parents' house is the one who experiences her parents' blessings and love. Our aim should be to be that kind of child of God one who lives with the Father, doing what we see the Father do, spending time with the Father, being at home with him. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all that you need, will be added to you. Seek him first and what you need will be taken care of because God knows what you need. Our relationship with God needs to be our top priority in life. Everything hangs on this. Now, it's one thing to say that, but it's another to do it. That might sound like work, work that maybe we don't really want to do or, or we've had trouble doing in the past, because praying is hard. It's hard to see the point sometimes. It's hard to believe it matters. It's hard to talk to someone and not hear the reply. It's hard to stick with it and stay focused. Well, praying is not easy. Surely there is work involved, especially if this means making changes in our lives. But maybe it helps to see it not so much as work, as much as it is rest. Somehow just resting in God's presence, just sitting and closing our eyes and letting go for a while. It's kneeling and just being silent for a while. It's believing that following him does make the difference we need in our lives. That He is the source of the joy and hope we are looking for and he always will be. It's being quiet. It's, it's, it's meditating on those words, our Father. I mean, thinking about what they must really mean, not just saying the words because Jesus told us to, but believing them, going about our day in the knowledge and hope that he really is our Father. It's looking for him everywhere during our day, in the faces of others, in their words, in the circumstances that come up, 
keeping our minds and hearts and eyes open to the possibilities that come in the precious lives that he's given us. It's remembering that life itself is grace. It's remembering that he knows that he, that he knows what he is doing and he is always at work. It's remembering his promises to us, remembering the patience and kindness he's shown to us as individuals, remembering how when the prodigal son returns, it's the father who runs out to meet him and kiss him, and remembering he tells the older son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. It's talking to him as often as we can, being thankful for the good things we have, handing over the bad, and asking him to help us in the day ahead. It's asking him for what we need and believing that he is, he is working on it. He's, he's always at work at that. He's always at work on that. It's doing what, he, what we get the feeling we ought to do, loving people as best we know how, forgiving those who hurt us, giving the blessings God has given us to others so that they might share in those blessings, looking not to our own interests but alone, but mostly to the interests of others. And after a while, that's not so much work as it is just resting and enjoying. It's receiving, taking things in, and giving away what we have. We become what we believe in, and the Father makes us more like him as we draw near, return, and rest in his arms. The relationship with the Father is always the key. We can't save ourselves, make ourselves perfect, but we can believe him, and he really does bring us what we need, including rest and peace and hope in a weary world. Can we get to the place where we just rest with him? And one day, the Pharisees were talking to Jesus, trying to get something they could use against him. That's what they're always trying to do. Um, what a miserable existence they must have had. Um, because they just couldn't believe him. And, uh, and they asked him, well, where is your father? And Jesus says, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So if we want to know the Father, if we really want that relationship with him, then we have help. We have someone to look at and listen to and follow after. If we want to know the Father, then we can look constantly at Jesus and listen to him and trust him with, the trust that we, that, with all the trust that we have in us. Jesus came that we might know the Father and have the Father at the center of our lives. We have the choice to put anything at the center of our lives. And we try it, we've tried many things. I think, we, I think we know that, and God knows that. We go for money, glory, power, politics, entertainment. Sometimes we put our family there, our country, our desires, our rights. Maybe we don't start out intending to put them there, but we, do that, but we still do it, of course. We still do it. But when we put them in the center of our lives, at the heart, they don't quite fit. They were never intended to fit there. That's the place of the Father the Father's true home, right there at the center, in the heart of it all. It's neither good nor right for us to put anything else there, no matter how wonderful or important that something or someone is. And if it is a person or people we put there, it's not fair to them either. They can't be all these things to us. They can't be what the Father can be. And without him at the center, I can't be who I should be to them. But if, and when I put him at the center, I find a strange contentment, a peace that passes my understanding, a hope for the future, a growing desire, and a need to give and share and love my neighbor as I love myself. It's a mystery how it works, but it works. He works. 
He's always at work. So it's the most vital thing in my life to seek the Father, to rest with him, believe him, follow him, pray to him in the secret place, putting all that into practice. Because with him at the center, at the heart, I am in my best place. Tolstoy pointed out that Jesus' last words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he also pointed this out. He said, those who say these words, not with their tongue, but with their heart, do not need anything else. If I am with the Father, I am where I need to be, wherever that is, in whatever circumstances I am in. That's the hope. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul seemed to find. In his letter to the Philippians, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is like to be in need. I know what it is like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. To be content, whatever the circumstances. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says he has this thorn in his flesh that's bothering him. He says, and three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To be able to find God's grace is enough, as enough, to find strength when we are weak, to see, that, to see that strength come through in our lives and through our weaknesses, to know that we have what we need. This place is only found when God the Father is at the center of our lives. All right, now several weeks ago, I, I, I found out what the topic would be. Mike, Mike was, told me about it, and, and uh, you know, I knew this would be about our Father. And so I started thinking about any stories or movies that I, um, you know, where the father was the main character or, or, or an important character. And the, the first thing that popped into my mind um, was, uh, was Field of Dreams. I don't know if you've, if you've seen that movie. I, I, if not, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to ruin it for you. So you can walk out right now. You might want to walk out anyway. Anyway, I've been wanting to do that for the last 20 minutes. Um, but uh, um, but uh, Field of Dreams, if you haven't seen it, uh, Kevin Costner, back in the late 1980s, uh, he's this farmer in Iowa. And he didn't grow up on a farm, uh, but he had a falling out with his dad, and he wanted to be just about the opposite of what his dad was. He just really, he just had some problems with his dad. And uh, so he bought this farm, and his dad has passed away several years before the beginning of, of the movie. And anyway, Kevin Costner's out there, the, the famous scene, he's out there right off the bat in the, in the cornfield, and, and he's, he's, you know, he's working out there, it's, it's evening, and, and uh, he's by himself, and, and he, hears, he hears the voice, right? If you build it, he will come. And, uh, and he's, he's like, what? And, and he looks around, and there's no one there, and he starts working again. Then he hears the voice again. If you build it, he will come. And he's at, he's, his wife is on the, the porch. She goes, hey, did you hear that? And they're like, no. And he's like, Pfft. So he tries to kind of ignore it, um, but it comes back. The next day, it comes back, and he can't ignore it. And, and in fact, the next time, not only does he hear the voice, but he sees this vision of this baseball field in his corn, and, and then he sees this person, and, he, and, he, and the person turns and looks at him, and it's, and it's Shoeless Joe Jackson, this baseball legend from the early 1900s. 
and, uh, and it's his dad's favorite player. And so he's convinced that he's supposed to, he, he, what he's supposed to do, his purpose, is to take out his corn, put a baseball field in it, and, uh, and then Shoeless Joe Jackson will get to come back and play baseball. So he does this. It's very foolish. It's irrational. People mock him, make fun of him. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a not a very smart thing to do. He's, a lot of his income is gone. But he does it because that's what he's supposed to do. He feels it. He, he feels like he knows it more than anything in his life. And so anyway, so he does it. And then that's the start of all these other things. He, the voice comes back. Sure enough, Shoeless Joe does come. And not only him, but these other guys do. Too, all these other players who've, who've, who've passed away. And they come kind of like ghosts out of this corn. And, uh, and then they always leave. And they, and they go back to the corn every night. And then they come back the next day and play again. And uh, they, they have this, this second chance kind of to play. And, uh, and so near the end of the movie... Oh, and so the, it follows, uh, follows um, Kevin Costner throughout. And, but all throughout, there's, there's this weaving of, of comments he makes about his dad and how he, he regrets how it ended with his dad, how he wishes he could, if he could see his dad again, how he could talk with him. Um, and, uh, and they always had baseball as this link between them. So anyway, near the end, uh, the players are packing up and, uh, and they're going back into the corn and, and Kevin Costner's there with his family and, and Shoeless Joe is standing there, he doesn't go back right away, and he's just looking, looking at Kevin Costner and just smiling at him. And Kevin Costner turns to him and he says, he says what are you grinning at, you ghost? And Shoeless Joe just looks at him and he says, if you build it, he will come. Kevin Costner looks over to where Shoeless Joe nods his head and, and there's the catcher, and the catcher pulls off his mask and it's his dad as a very young man. And what am I, what's the problem with me? Anyway, sorry. So, so um, I didn't mean, um, so anyway, his dad, there's his dad. And Kevin Costner can't believe it. And Shoeless Joe goes back in the, in the corn and it's just his dad and, and him. And, uh, and they talk for a while and the dad doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know, he doesn't know anything about him because he's still this very young man. And they talk back and forth and then the dad says to him, thank you for putting up this field. I really appreciate it. And uh, they start to, he starts to walk away. And Kevin Costner says to him, he says, hey, dad? And the man turns and he says, you want to have a catch? And the dad says, I'd like that. And so Kevin Costner picks up his mitt and throws the ball. And the dad throws the ball back to him and he catches it and he holds it, kind of cradles it like he's like this, this, this great treasure. And of course, it is this great treasure, the, you know, this, this moment with his dad. And the scene goes on and they just keep throwing the ball back and forth. So I'm watching this uh, to kind of, you know, a couple of months ago <laughs> to, to, you know, to remember some of the lines. And, and I choked like I just did, embarrassingly. But, um, but I'm watching this, and my, my, my daughters come in, and they, and they see me, and I'm kind of like losing it. And, uh, um, and they go, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. And, and they, they see the scene that I'm looking at, and they, and, and they say, man, you're, you're crying over two guys in a cornfield. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, uh, and I'm like, I was like, I don't think that's a fair description of this, this scene. That, it's like saying, like, the Chronicles of Narnia is about a bunch of kids that go to their uncle's house. I mean, there's a little more to it than that. Um, but uh, but, it, but I, it, I realized after that that to them it was, it was. It was just two guys in a cornfield. But to me, it was, it was much, much more. Um, 
you know, I, I, have, a, I have a connection to that movie. That, that movie came out when I, was, you know, when I was a kid. We saw it many times, and my parents liked it. My dad was a baseball player. I'd play catch with my dad. I am, a, I am a, probably older now than Kevin Costner was in that film. And my dad, he still looks like that young guy in the movie, the, the dad. So it's, I don't know how he does it. But, um, so I have, I have all, these, all these connections to this, to this thing, and, and they have nothing. And, and I, I realized that, uh, that that's how it is. That's how it works. If, if I have a connection with something, if I have a relationship with something, um, then when I come back to it, when I, when I find it again, or when, when I'm there with it, it it's, it's everything to me. It's, it's not just two guys in a cornfield. It's, uh, it's, it's the most important place that I can be. And so I think to myself, if, 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 that's, if I want God to be my father, then I, I must have that connection with him. I, I have to keep coming to him. And maybe at first that's awkward and, and strange, um, but after a while it, it's not, because now I know him, and, and I know he's there, and I, 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 I have his presence with me. Um, and that's the difference. Uh, we keep showing up. We keep going. We keep looking to him as our father, and we find that he's there. And so for us, um, it's not just two guys in a cornfield. It's it's, uh, it's the most important time in our lives because from there, there comes our strength and our hope and our love and our ability to do anything that we can do. I heard it once said that, uh, that the Bible was kind of like a window. When, when you look at a window, uh, you see the, 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 the smudges, the, the watermarks, the dust, the, the cobwebs, the little flies that are caught in it, maybe the cracks in the window. Uh, But windows aren't made to be looked at. When you look through a window, you see the world beyond. And I think that's the way it is with prayer. If I just read about prayer or I just watch people pray, I don't don't really get it. But when I pray, when I really sit with the Father, the world is opened up to me, the whole world beyond. Something happens through the prayers itself. That is what I need. I don't need to just look at it. I need to be in it to do it. And, and, and I meet God. I find him there. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's make the Father our great treasure. And we will find him at the heart of our lives, right where we need him to be. And he will open for, up for us the world beyond. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you, first of all, for, for our lives. We thank you that um, you've, you've given us the, the air in our lungs, the, um, the, 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 the hearts in our bodies, the, the minds in our heads, every, everything that we have. We thank you for the people that we know. We, we thank you for the experiences that we've, we've been given. We thank you for this chance to, to, to live and, and, and to be here in this moment. And Father, we... We ask that um, with those lives, in our lives, we'd, we'd, um, we'd be able to, to see you, to know you better. Um, we ask that you'd be with us and, and, uh, and help us to, to learn from you, to walk with you, and to trust you. Father, help us to remember that that's who you are. You're our Father. And, uh, and we can come to you with anything that we have. Come to you like, like, like in the movie. Like we can say things like, hey, Dad, um, Help us to remember that. 
Help us to be more like you, to treat people like you would treat them, and, uh, and, and to be the people you've made us to be, so that we might be in re- at rest in your arms. We might be at peace with you and, and with this world. Um, we thank you for everything you've given us. We thank you for the, the chance to talk to you even now. And, and uh, we lift this week into your hands. We lift uh, the people we know and care about into, into your hands. We lift our, our world, our country, our town, everything. Um, thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>